Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for OK Bloomer, Teach Me Sales. I'm Kelly Bloomer. And I'm Tom Bloomer. OK, Tom, you're our sales pro. In 30 words or less, can you tell us about this podcast? I'm going to try. You know us salespeople like to talk, Kelly. You sure do. All right, 30 words or less. Can you do it? Well, if you're a sales pro and you're looking to grow in your sales career, if you like good, lively sales discussion, I think this is going to be a show for you. I've walked your walk for over 30 years in sales. I've knocked on the doors and overcome the same obstacles I think you may be facing as a seller, a sales manager, and as a VP of sales. I currently help assess, build, and train high-performing media sales teams. Well, Cal? Yeah, you really went over 30 words. But I think it was good. I let's, do too. Okay, so I hope our listeners will be all set. And hey, let's let's roll up our shirt sleeves and let's let's get at it. So enjoy listening to Tom and his guests talk sales. Okay, Tom, who's the boomer talking sales today? Kel, we actually have an attorney on today. Really? How does that go with sales? You know, it's a, it's a little scary too, because you know my thoughts on attorneys. So true. Uh, but th this is a great guy, uh, Mitch Beinecker. I found him not as an attorney, luckily. We're, we okay. didn't need an attorney at true. this point. Um, but he's a podcast ho host, and he has a podcast called The Accidental Entrepreneur. Okay. And you know how you always say when you grow up, I want to be like this person? Right. When our podcast grows up, I want to be able to interview people like Mitch interviews people. Oh, I, wow. I've never, and I, you know, we listen to a lot of podcasts. We do. He has a way of interviewing people that, that, uh, I, it, it's fantastic. I mean, it really, it makes you feel like you're right there just listening to two old friends, you know, just talk about whatever they're talking about. That's a nice feeling. And that always sounds really good on the podcast when they're just sitting there talking like that. Yeah, it's, it's so authentic. Mm -hmm. It's real. It's just a good conversation. And, you know, once I started listening to his, what I really liked is it's these fascinating stories. He talks to entrepreneurs okay, and how they got started. And it, that's where it kind of ties into his legal practice. Oh, okay. Because he works with a lot of business owners that are, hey, I got to get out of this business. You know, what, what do I do? How do I start over? That type of thing. Okay. So he's trying to help people get better started with it. And, um, you know, I think practically everyone in sales at one point has said, you know, should I go out and do this on my own? Gotcha. You know, can I do this? You know, I have an idea. I think I can run a business. You know, should I go and do it? And, and he's got some fascinating stories about that. So he's the guy to tell you if your idea is good or not. Yeah, because so many people, they they open a business kind of by accident. I mean, there's so many right. things in life, you know, that we just develop by accident. Uh, I mean, you were the longest that you worked at one particular place was the party warehouse, right? Right. Did that? How did, how did you get that job? You got it for me. By accident, <laughs> right? right? I, was, I was talking with a client. They had a need. I said, my wife is looking for something. She would be perfect. And, and it worked out for you were there how long? 15 years. It, it all started from an accident. Yep. So there are good things, you know, that start by yep. an accident. Uh, this podcast, we started pretty by much accident. by accident. Yeah. And But then we had to sit down and say, okay, if we want to do this, how do we get better at it? How do we do it right? And that's really where Mitch comes in. So it's a little bit of a different episode today, but I okay. think people are really going to enjoy it. And I'd love to hear after. Mm-hmm people letting me know maybe on our Facebook page, am I getting anywhere better as an interviewer? Because I'm, I'm kind of with my, my idol when it comes to interviewing ah, today. 
Okay. We'll see if it shows. All right. Well, then let's listen. Let's go. My name is Alex from Chicago. Okay, Boomer, teach me something about sales. All right. So we are here today with Mitch Beinhacker. Uh, Mitch, you're an attorney. Yes. You're a podcaster. I am a podcaster. You're working every day with small business owners, right? Right. Yep. Share with our listeners, how uh, did you become a podcaster by accident? Did you become an attorney by accident? A little bit of both. Um, I had, so I've grown up in the financial planning insurance advisory world. My father's been an insurance agent and insurance advisor since, I don't know, 1965. So a year before I was born and um, he still works in the business. And as a result of it, I've been around the, you know, family planning, business planning uh, industry, if you will, and estate planning for, you know, my entire career. So when I when I was in college, um, and this is the accidental attorney part, um, I was getting near the end of college. And, you know, my grandmother, as all Jewish grandmothers do, try and encourage their grandchildren to go to law school or medical school. And I was, I'm not a medical guy, I get sick at the sight of blood. So I was, uh, okay, yeah, grandma, maybe. And then a very good friend of mine who's not an attorney now, ironically, he's in the real estate business. Um, he, uh, he came up to me one day in our fraternity house and he says, I think I'm going to go to law school. So I said, I didn't know what I was going to do. I'd go to business school. I really didn't, you know, getting my MBA didn't really excite me. So I, uh, I was like, okay, I'll go to law school too. We we're probably drinking at the time. So about two so weeks wasn't later. to make grandmom happy. Yeah, exactly. So about, you had a drinking buddy. Right, exactly. Well, about two weeks later, well, they were all drinking buddies. The whole house was full of them. So yeah. we, uh, about two weeks later, he sobered up and said, you know what, I'm not going to go to law school. So I kind of was at a crossroads. Was I going to law school just because, you know, he told me to do it or he thought he, so I kind of uh, evaluated some things and did some more research and took it more seriously. And I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but a, a law background and a law and legal training and knowing the law uh, would be good. And I didn't feel I was as analytical as I am now, uh, certainly not as good of a reader. And I thought that law school would hone those skills for me. And it did. So I you know, went out and applied to a bunch of different schools, got in a few places, got offered money at one. Uh, my dad said he had to pay for my sister. So good luck. Not completely, but so I said, all right. So I went to New York law school in the city, a lot of commuter ki- kids, a lot of, you know, big night program for people that are working during the day, although I didn't. And, um, you know, just started my legal journey. So when I came out of law school, I became very interested in tax planning and estate planning and business planning. My dad was in the insurance business. I went to him and said, can I learn more about what you do? Cause I knew what he did was something involving planning and investment planning and so forth. So he got me some jobs in insurance companies in the summer times and I started learning all that stuff. So almost from the get go, I was learning about things in the planning business that, you know, most of these guys don't see for a very long time. So yeah, I just, I did kind of stumble into it. I guess you, you did become a pretty good reader, right? You, I, I would say a good school? reader, a better reader, better <laughs> I'd reader? a better reader. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, it's funny. I don't really read books anymore. I, I do a lot of audible because I read so many contracts and, uh, <laughs> you know, wills and documents that I, I just, you know, if I'm on vacation, maybe a pleasure book, but for the most part, I prefer to listen and drive in the car and audible. So, but I, ha- I do listen to some books that aren't on audible sometimes. So. Now the, so the, you listen to audible, is that where the idea of podcasting came up? Because, you know, I asked you if you got into this accidentally because you know, your podcast, you're the host of the yeah. accidental entrepreneur. So I, right. I love that title. <laughs> uh, it definitely captured my interest. I had to say, okay, what is this show going to be about? What am I going to learn as I go right. through it? 
Um, was it the the liking to listen over no, reading? Not, that well, yeah, it was. Podcast? It was. I'll take you through the uh, metamorphosis, if you will. So a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, told me about a podcast early on. It's it's a podcast called How I Built This with Guy Raz. He's an NPR guy, pretty famous. I've seen him in person. So, and he's interviewed you know, the top of the top, he, he, you know, Sarah Blakely to, you know, Howard Schultz to, I mean, everybody. And, um, and he's a great interviewer. So I listened to all of his podcasts and then slowly but surely I started discovering other podcasts as I would go. Um, and one day uh, I saw a video, I think from Pat Flynn, who's a big video podcaster. He's a big guy. He does a lot of videos about how it was like, you can start a podcast for 75 bucks. And I never really thought about starting a podcast, although we had in my old law firm, I had partners, we had kind of circled the wagons of, you know, maybe we could put content out there that's video related or audio related that could be a, help people, small business owners guide themselves through the law. Um, because that's a big problem when you're a small business owner, you know, you, you have a, a legal issue, usually you don't deal with it until it's a problem. And it's not a big issue, maybe it's a three to $5,000 problem, somebody owes you some money, but it's going to cost you at least in New Jersey more money than that to sue the person. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking about doing some things to teach some people. And then I realized that, that was boring. That's nobody wants to listen to that. So, you know, it just, I just started. Did you do a few episodes like that? And, and then decided we did. Yeah, boring? they're not out. They're not anymore. It was called Let's Talk Legal. And I don't think it's out anymore. Uh, maybe there's some episodes floating around. Well, we did one on uh, filing in small claims. We did one on municipal work. We did one on uh, some other things. I was going to do all kinds of legal topics and I, I still could, but then I went out on my own and I got busy with this. So, but the, the whole idea came about because I have business owners who come to me all the time, all the time. And they're like, uh, I need your help. I'm like, okay, well, I got to shut my business down. I'm like, why didn't you just open? Did you tell me you opened like four to six months ago or, or, or you just merged with this company? Yeah. Well, you know, we didn't plan on this. We didn't anticipate this. And so I noticed that a lot of these people, and I, and I would ask them, well, can I see your business plan at least? And they didn't have a business plan. So I realized that a lot of these people are doing things by accident. I happen to also see, if you remember that old movie, The Accidental Tourist uh, with William Hurt, there was like, a, I don't know, something came up on Netflix or whatever, and it kind of connected. I was like, accidental, the accidental entrepreneur. That's what these people do. Everything's like they succeed or fail totally by accident. There's no planning. That's what I'm going to do. And I realized that if I did an interview style podcast, I didn't really have to prepare anything because it's very difficult to come up with information every week or every month. It's very onerous and I want to practice law. So that's kind of how it got started from there when Corona hit and I didn't have business for three or four months. I mean, I just connected with everybody and we got connected through somebody too. So that's kind of where it happened. It did happen accidentally. That was two years ago. Now I'm on episode, I don't know, hundred and some odd 20. Yeah. 80 released. So, you know, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. And I, and I think my listeners are getting benefit from the ideas that people share and their experiences and their successes and their failures. I mean, that's really the idea of the whole podcast. Yeah. As, as a new business owner myself, I, I can tell you there, there has yet to be an episode where at some point it, you know, it doesn't go, wait a right. second, you know, and, and you pull out the notepad and you say, you know what, I, I got to check on that or, or look into that. Yeah. There's always little tidbits um, from all the guests that they throw out there. Yeah, which is and, good. You know, we could spend the next hour me just asking you about podcasting. And I don't know if my <laughs> listeners would like that, but I, no, I, no, I, I, could, I, I speak on that sometimes. It's funny. So I got I speak on, you know, the legal topics that I just somebody said, well, you speak on podcasting. I'm like, well, why? I'm not like a professional podcast. Well, you but you know it more than other people. So 
I started speaking on podcasting, but that's not the topic for today. So, but it's probably fun though, right? It is fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, it's more fun. So, uh, very good. So you're, you're talking with a lot of people. Um, they're they're sharing with what they've done in business, yeah. how they've yeah. got started, you know, how they got into yeah. it, their successes, um, any, their failures, any, what they learned. Any, yeah. Any common threads to to those that have been successful? So you've worked on both. You, you've had the people calling you saying we need to close our business. Yeah. You're talking with a lot of people who've been successful with it. Are, are there any common threads either way that that have really jumped out in your experience? Oh, definitely. Well, first of all, the the ones that succeed without the best planning, I would say, are really the guerrilla marketers. I mean, they just don't take no for an answer. They don't take failure as an option. They figure things out. They're out there hustling and, and connecting. And, I, and I'm not suggesting to people that are listening that that's the route to go. But if you have that personality and you're, you're relentless I think you have a pretty good chance of success, but the, the the main thread between success and failure is the level of planning that's done both from an initial standpoint and, and on an ongoing basis. So when you get started, you have to do some planning to do some research up front to figure out the, the road that you should be going down if this business is gonna be successful, or if it's not, and it's not a good business idea, you better know that up front before you spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and really spin your wheels. So you don't necessarily need a formal, you know, Ivy League style business plan with charts and graphs and have it bound and whatever. If you're trying to raise money, maybe you need more of a formal business plan, but you definitely need some strategic planning. You need to do some financial work in terms of figuring out what you can sell this thing for, what your costs are going to be realistically to run the entire business, what it looks like, maybe what it looks like to start where you ultimately want to end up. And also, you know, the marketing side of it, what is the marketplace? Who are you, you're trying to reach? And do they, are the, is there a marketplace? Will they pay for what you're trying to, you know, do? And I think a lot of people think they have a great idea and they're just like, this is awesome. I would pay for this. That doesn't mean anybody else will. And it doesn't mean there aren't competitors out there that you can't compete with or if there's even a marketplace. So that that's a big shortcoming that I see when I'm working with people that they don't take the time because look, as entrepreneurs, we are right brain people. We're creatives. There's no question about it. We may not be artists, but we're looking to create and build and to, you know, put up the website and get excited about our business. But we tend to, not always, but we tend to avoid the things, the planning and stuff that isn't so sexy, that is you know, numbers related. Like it's, it overwhelms a lot of people that are like, I don't like that. Well, but it can lead to your failure. So it's really important that you spend the time really put pen, paper to pencil, pencil to paper and, you know, figure out, I do it with my law practice. I mean, I've had people come to me, uh, you know, when I do business plan challenges, I did one this summer where we wrote a business plan in a week. Now, a lot of people didn't make it through, but some people did. They had a really good business plan at the end. I had attorneys call me, should I be doing this? Uh, I mean, I'm just a lawyer. I go, but you have a business, but do you want your business to grow? Do you want to be doing everything yourself for the rest of your life? Or do you want to strategically plan it out? So it, that's it not the to fun everybody. part. That's not the fun no, part, right? That's not, not the creative part. So correct. How do how do they get how do you get them to do it? Well, sometimes I don't. But you know, I, I I've taken my business plan template, which is probably I don't know eight or ten sections that I boiled it down to like four basic sections. You know, your product or service, your your company, meaning who do you have working for you, whether it's virtual or who you're gonna have work for you. How does that look? The marketing and the financials. Those are the four basic 
components of a business plan. So if you can focus on at least the marketing, the financials, and then start to put the rest of it together over time, at least you know when you come to a fork in a road, what's what might be a not guaranteed, but what might be a better choice than going the other direction, as opposed to just you know you have no you have no reason to choose one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely where I would where I try to start people and. You know, depending on your business and your service or the industry you're in, one becomes more important than the other. Are the financials complicated for a solo practitioner working in a co-working space? This is where I am now. I keep my business very simple um, and I have virtual support and so forth. I don't have a payroll and stuff like that. Do I have a less complex financial picture? Sure, but I still have revenue that I want to build, you know, from a, a um, an income generation standpoint, the kind of revenue I want to build and then costs. I have online services, I have rent, I have insurance, I have all these types of things that add up. And then the question is, how much do I need? How much business do I need to make a profit, to have money left over to pay my bills? So we don't pay attention to that. We just think money's coming in the door, we'll pay our bills and manage to pay our personal bills at the same time. And then we're always spinning around. It's entrepreneurial poverty, Mike Michalowicz calls it. He's been on my podcast too. Great books, by the way, any of Mike Michalowicz's books. Mike, say it again. Mike McCallowitz, if you've heard of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, Surge, uh, Fix This Next, just great, great books. He's, he was on my podcast in August, I think. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. Great and, guy, great guy. And, you know, as you were talking, it made me think of one of yours I was just re- listening to recent, recently talking about cash flow. You know, some of the, the small business owners, newer entrepreneurs, they see the cash flow coming in. Correct. But, but they're not really measuring what's going out. So right, they just correct. think, hey, life is good and, and we're just moving forward. Um, well, you know, cash flow hides a lot of things. That's the problem with cash flow. That's the other side of the sword, so the double edge of the, of, of the sword. So during the pandemic, cash flow stopped and people, the smoke cleared and people looked around and said, oh, oh my goodness, I'm not making any money from this business. And a lot of entrepreneurs have lifestyle businesses and it just you know, supports them as they go and they're just kind of wandering through and paying their bills, but they really don't have, they're not getting anywhere. They just don't realize it because the cash just keeps coming in the door and they just keep stealing from Peter to pay Paul and they manage. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it was awakening for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, 2020's been, been quite the awakening. Yeah. 2020, right, and, clear uh, vision, that's ironic. Yeah, um, so, you talk in the beginning of your podcast, you talk about the people that get into being a, an entrepreneur because maybe they're, they're jobless yeah. or, or they're dissatisfied, they're looking to do right. something else. Yep. So, so let's talk. Somebody's listening right now and, and they're dissatisfied and they're wondering, you know, should I be working for myself? Right. Um, they probably don't have a plan yet, right? right? They haven't developed that. Um, there are those people that are just going to fight through everything. We've all worked with those and, and they're going to will it to be successful. But the average everyday person, um, give me give me three things. What's the first three things they need to do before they even build that plan? Are, are they, what, what are they researching? How do they even know if it's, you know, I, I, I got this great idea in the shower. Um, is this really What do I do next type of yeah. thing? It's, yeah, well, before you sit down and start writing a business plan, what you can do, um, I would start with the marketplace research, at, uh, you know, from the beginning. Is the service out there? And and just because it is, or the product, and just because it is doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it. Um, the question is, is it out there? Can it be better? What's the pricing mechanism? Um, what's the price point? 
what kind of entries, barriers to entries are there in the marketplace? You know, do you need a special license to do what you do? Are there, are there environmental issues? Or, I mean, you should really should do that kind of research up front to figure out, okay, is the idea viable? You know, just because, I think I say this in the opening, just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it should be a business. Like everybody thinks oh, that's a great idea. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, but you've never been in the restaurant business. You're just gonna open a chicken wing place and you know, you better figure out if that's something you wanna do. Also figure out, is this something that's going to create the lifestyle that I'm looking to have? And when I mean lifestyle, like you don't like where you're working, right? You don't like commuting on the train. You don't like going to work. Well, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur and you're gonna start your own business, you will work harder than you're working now. So first of all, let's put the myth aside. I, I, I've never met a business owner that, that worked hard. Come right, on, exactly. They don't really work, exactly. right? They, well, they're you know, on people, vacation People have the companies, time. they'll be like, you know, it's, you work for yourself and you're so lucky. You can take off whenever you want. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like if, you're a, if you wanna be successful, this is a 24 hour business. You think about it when you sleep, you plan on it after dinner when you're sitting in front of the couch. You get up early in the morning and you know, yes, your your schedule's flexible. If you got to take your 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 son or daughter to the dentist in the morning and your wife has a corporate job or vice versa, you can you can be flexible about it. I'm always moving my calendar around, but sometimes I'm on calls with clients at eight o'clock at night, or I go to a networking event at night or in the morning or the middle of the day because I have to develop my business. So you have to decide first of all, are you the kind of person that is that can sell? I see that as a huge shortcoming with people. They think that just because they started a business or an entrepreneur, they don't have to be a salesperson. That is the number one strength that any of these people have. I don't care if they're guerrilla marketers. And by the way, I was only half kidding about the guerrilla marketers. They do planning too. They just don't give themselves enough credit for it. If you really dig down they're they have a plan and they're working that plan and they have notes and, and you know, but you got to figure out that's the guerrilla marketer. That's the person who's not afraid to come up and say, you know, Tom, Will you buy my product? Can I talk to you about it? And if you're not comfortable doing that, you should think twice of whether you should be going into your own business because that's why these businesses, be you can't just open a store, people are gonna walk in, forget it, not anymore. You know, So there are ways to market and to be more of a marketer than a salesperson, but ultimately we sell. That's what drives the economy. You have to be a salesperson. I, in my years in advertising, I met many new business owners put a lot of money in a gorgeous store. They have a great product and uh, I, I shouldn't have to advertise. I, why am I going to have to market? I make the best cupcake in uh, Livingston, New Jersey. Of really? course, they're all going to come. And they even think that your marketing efforts and your, your sales campaign and your advertising is enough. They're still going to have to sell that person when they finally come through the door or they get a connection. So you've got to be comfortable enough in your own skin to do that stuff. Now, maybe you got to sign up for, you know, Sandler sales training, or which is a great program or some other sales training to learn sales techniques that so you can become comfortable selling the way you want to sell. You don't have to sell the way other people tell you how to sell, but you have to become comfortable and develop some skills. So look into it, you know, join Toastmasters. If you're not a good public speaker, whatever it is, develop your tone, your skills before you sign the lease and rent the space. It, it seems to me along with that sales and marketing person that your your real successful new business owners are those that understand they need to keep learning. They're, yes, they're not averse to, to anything. I, I know everything. I don't, there's right. nothing. No, the they best guys I work with are always learning, always growing, always looking for new ways to do it. They're the ones who work with coaches and it's not the people that are failing. Generally, it's the people that are succeeding and looking to move to the next level. Now, the people that are struggling, they need the coaches too, don't get me wrong, but tends to be that the people that seek these people out are looking to 
hone what they're doing and get better at what they're doing and always looking to improve their craft, improve their service, improve their product, improve their automated systems. I mean, I do with my law practice too. I'm retooling everything for 2021. So, you know, that's definitely something that, that people have to pay attention to. And it, you can't just, you know, it doesn't stop. It's not like work where you can get on the train, it's five o'clock, six o'clock, and you go home and you can put it down for the night. That doesn't happen. And to a certain extent, it doesn't happen at all now because we're all working from home, even if we're with a corporation. Now it's part of your life. So definitely, yeah. definitely. We're yeah. all dealing with that. Um, you had a sleep consultant on oh, one yeah, of your episodes. Own. Is, is that <laughs> to help the entrepreneurs right now that, that really need a little extra sleep? Yeah, well, you know, I get referred and connected with a lot of people all over the world. And if they have something that fits in the entrepreneurial's entrepreneurial bucket and it's interesting. He works with a lot of executives because if you want to be a top performer, you need to be, you need to get a good night's sleep, you know, um, whether that's four hours or six hours or eight hours or 10 hours, you know, everybody needs kind of a different level of, of sleep. But if you sleep well, you def you de generally will be a better performer. I know I am. Um, so that's kind of where he came from. And it was also ironic because I snore, keep my wife up and, uh, he threw his techniques, teaching me things, helping me buy a couple of, you know, wedges to tip, tip me up while I'm sleeping or whatever, has mitigated 80% of my problems when it comes to sleeping. And I've referred him to several people. So, but sleeping well is definitely the road to, along the road to entrepreneurial success. Awesome. Now, does he give some of those techniques on your episode? Can can I refer people? To yeah, the, sure. To and he also has videos on his website that are free, and and he does initial consultations for free. Um, so yeah, and his links are in the show notes of that particular episode. All right. Yeah. So that that'll bring me. Uh, I wanted to ask you, over a hundred episodes. Yeah. Um, one only or released two... about eighty, I think eighty, eighty-five or something. But we've recorded about one hundred and twenty, I think. All right. Yeah one or two that that jump out is there a certain one that just was uh, the most memorable that you've done one or two uh well certainly the first one i did it's a double episode with a gentleman named jack killian who's a very good friend of mine i'm probably going to bring him on for episode 100 uh and sneak that one in um as an update um but when i was starting my podcast I called Jack. So Jack's been, he's been with McKinsey. He's, he was part of the team that helped launch Rolling Stone magazine. He started several new, he just has a great story. And I only knew a small portion of his story. So I said, Jack, listen, I need somebody to interview for my podcast. Come to my office. We're going to do this interview. And he's like, you know, what's a podcast? And I said, well, we're going to just record our, and I really didn't know what I was doing at that point. We had crappy equipment you can tell from the sound if you listen to it. i cleaned up a lot of it but now i don't have to do that because i have a mixing board here and i have a good mic and whatever but the 75 dollars road to start is a little bit of a you know jockeying it up gauze and duct tape type of a route so we had this little office in my, with my old firm with my partners in the summer of 19 i went out on my own and i do this from my desk now so we had this little room it was a table he had a mic like this and we're sitting there all tied in through this little usb hub into a laptop um and we sat there for two and a half hours talking about his whole story. So it's 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 a fascinating story. The things that he did, and the, he did which he didn't think was so fascinating, but it was. And I boiled it down to two one-hour episodes. So I would start with those two. Um, there was a gentleman on a young guy named Pierre Laguerre, uh, a ways a little ways back. He's he's in Atlanta now. I think he's from Brooklyn originally, but his story was unbelievable. Like he. He finished high school, dropped out of college, wanted to see the country. 
I don't know, his uncle or somebody was in trucking. He got his trucking license. He drove around. He had he lost everything, had injuries, was was mugged at one point, was near death in the hospital for two weeks. And he's the kind of kid who just like nothing stops him. Mm-hmm. He's now built this company that brings truckers together with companies that need trucking services because apparently it's a very fragmented industry. You're a trucker, you get a job, the job's over, you got to go somewhere else. And I think he raised like more money on Republic.co, uh, you know, crowdfunding than any young African-American ever done, like more than a million dollars after he'd been through all this stuff. So his episode's very interesting. Um, and then there's a lot of people I have on there, social media influencers to share their their knowledge and their ideas. And authors have had on Mike Michalowicz, I mentioned, is a great author. I had Bob Berg, if you're familiar with the Go-Giver series of books. I had him on my podcast. So I've met a lot of interesting people. Um, last week, I had the CEO from uh, the um, Southern family or Southwestern family of companies. They're a big conglomerate of companies. They work with entrepreneurs. They do all kinds of stuff. They do door-to-door selling. And he started out selling books door-to-door. And he's now the CEO of the company. He just wrote a book. He found me. Um, so he was on last week. So you, you talk about uh, entrepreneurs, especially those that um, newer into it, right? Yeah. Um, you're talking about a, a wealth of um, connections, people that you've networked, you, you've learned yeah. about them, they've learned about you. Sure. How, how does that happen? I mean, that can't be by accident, right? So how what, are the, you connecting with all these people? people? Yeah. How, how are you getting that and, and making yeah. that? How, how does somebody new to their business where networking is going to be important? Right. How, how do they get that started? Yeah. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, you got to figure out where your marketplace is. But nowadays, because of COVID and the changes with connection online. Um, I mean, we're not next to each other. We're on Zoom. So when I would go on these meetings, and I still do, I was doing 10 to 15 meetings a week that I got, you know, I would meet some people at a meeting, and then they would refer me to another meeting. Then I'd meet another group down in Florida. I'm with an attorney group down there. They referred me to another group. Then I met somebody who's in London who does something on Fridays. I go to her meeting, and then I go to another friend's meeting. So I had all these meetings and at the meetings, I would make connections and I would send a, you know, a text or a chat with somebody. Hey, you want to connect outside the meetings, one-on-ones, right? If you go to a networking meeting, virtual or in person, and we could probably do a whole podcast on networking, um, you, you want to, uh, what's the word? You want to do one-on-ones. The networking doesn't happen at the meeting, right? The connection happens at the meeting. And then you got to follow up. So I was doing 20 to 30 to 40 individual chats with people. I mean, my, my calendar was all blue for like four or five months. And during those chats, I would say to people, you know, I do the podcast, I have my law practice, because as a lawyer, I can only do work in New Jersey, for the most part, I do some contracts across the country, if they're not state specific, and I do a lot of federal tax planning, as long as they have local counsel for the local issues. So most of it's New Jersey. So when I'm connecting with people, I want to get them on my podcast and meet them and make connections. So yeah, I mean, people are just they're all clamoring to get on podcasts. Everybody wants to guest. It's a very good way of building your business. So I would connect with people through all kinds of networking events. And um, you want to build that database and start an email list. There's a very good book called The Referral of a Lifetime, which I read 15 or 20 years ago, and it's now been updated to be more modern with all the modern you know, email. It was before email, but it's all been modernized. And it is a great book about building a keep in touch program with the people that you know and how to get started in direct marketing. If you want to build a podcast following, if you want to build a following for your business, if you want to build a following for your product or your service, you need to build an email list of people that regularly hear from you and 
remember you and keep you top of mind, even if they don't read the stuff you send out all the time or listen to all my episodes or watch all the videos that somebody might put together. You need to have people on a list that you're adding to on a regular basis. And there's ways to automate it as well. So you don't have to be adding them by hand all the time. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then also the social media postings. Anything you send out to your email list should be posted on social media. So a lot of these people I've had on were referrals that I got introduced to. So, to so you're podcast. in these these networking situations. Yeah. Um, are you doing the initiation? Because I, I have a feeling a lot of people, they say, I, I, I go to three networking things a week. I go to four. I'm getting nothing out of it. Right, so, because they don't follow up. <laughs> yeah, so, so what, what do they need to do? They, yeah. you, you have to initiate that, right? You have to look and start a conversation. and Yeah, and there's no question about it. I, it. A lot of it has to do with your elevator pitch, right? So you're going to get 30 seconds or whatever in a minute to introduce yourself. So make sure you have that honed down. If you have to have it on a Word document on your screen that you read for a while until you get good at it, because I find people are all over the place with their elevator. I mean, they just vomit on the whole group and they talk for two and a half minutes and then everybody's eight, eight got minutes their eyes later, rolling. Yeah. there's only the nice person still there. Everybody else has wandered away. Correct. Right? And 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 the moderator of the meeting needs to reel that in. So, but you really want to have a concise thing. So I would talk specifically about my practice kind of work I do for people. And I'd mention the podcast. So people find that interesting. They reach out to me half the time. They want to connect and see what I do. And I would tell them the people I'm looking to network with is these types of people. So know who you're looking for. They may reach out to you right at the meeting. Say, hey, Tom, I heard you say you're looking for such and such. Let's connect. I know some people that do this and I do this. Or you can initiate it as well. So you got to listen to people's elevator pitches and make notes and say, oh, I know I want to connect with Tom and this guy, this guy. And then you can connect with them outside the meeting. If they publish a list, you can connect, chat with them in the meeting. Don't, by the way, don't add everybody to your mailing list from the meeting you go to. That's a a no-no. You want to permission marketing. That, that's not connecting. You don't sit there and just send out 15 no, next requests after wanna, No, I mean, you could, and you could say, hey, I saw you at the meeting. I'd love to connect. Can I add you to my mailing list? I believe in permission marketing. Um, and there, I think there's a book called Permission Marketing out there, but uh, you don't want to just, I mean, people do that. They just add you to their marketing list. Next thing you know, you get things about their multi-level marketing, network marketing company. And you're like, oh shit. And it puts a bad taste in their mouth. So you don't want to, you don't want to do that. But a lot of it is just, you know, connecting and building that group of followers for yourself and following other people. And I've connected with people all over the world because of that. Now, let's talk about targeting, right? Because you mentioned early on, you've got to know your audience. You've got to know who your customer is going to be for the, the new business that you're starting up. Yeah. Um, how do you target them? Because obviously when, when you're talking to different pod, podcast guests, yeah, there, there's got to be some that you're looking, hey, this could be a potential client or this could be somebody I'm working with down the road when you're networking. How, how does a business owner really target the right people? Because it doesn't do me good to have 10 one-on-ones right. when nine of them are, are never going to be a possible client or, or somebody that can work with my business. So how, how do you help business owners to kind of target the right people? All right. And I'll answer this from a networking standpoint. I mean, there are ways to target people, as you know, from a marketing standpoint as to how you post and what you do and how you do it online and re meet, reach the correct audience that you're looking for. Let's just talk from a networking standpoint. If you're just getting started uh, networking, I would not filter through anybody who you meet. I would try to connect and talk with as many people as you can, see what road it leads you on, when, be very specific when you do talk one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, this is what I need help with. This, these are the kind of people I'm looking at, at meeting. 
you know, I work with a lot of financial advisors because they have business owner clients and they need planning and they need tax planning and they want to sell their products that are usually part of these plans. So I'm very specific that I'm always looking to connect with financial advisors, insurance advisors, business brokers, all those types of things. Now I've connected with thousands of them. So I'm not always looking to connect with more, but um, I'm very specific about it. So you want to be very specific when you talk to somebody, but when you start out, just fill up your calendar. I mean, just talk to as many people as you can. Network, network, network. Uh, in Jack, Jack Killian was my first guest. He has a book called Network All the Time, right? Network all the time, anywhere and everywhere. And that's what you want to do. And as you build that network, then you can start being more targeted, like you say, about saying, you know what? I'm not going to go to that group. I really don't meet the right kind of people. I can't be everything to everyone and I can't be everywhere. You know, as you grow your list and you and you you've met fifty, you know, you have fifteen hundred, two thousand connections on LinkedIn, and you you have a couple thousand people on your mailing list, and you know, then I would start being more selective about who you're meeting with. You know, I, I used to be less selective about the podcast. Now I'm more selective because I'm really looking for people that are interesting to my listeners. Not always that will bring me business because if they're in other parts of the country, maybe they don't. But you'd be surprised who calls me with what. Um, but, or I could refer to a colleague and then it helps with my relationship with a colleague, but I, I wouldn't do that until you really have a bigger network of people, uh, you know, because a lot of people, I don't want to do that because they're using it as an excuse to not go to the meeting. You know, the people that go say, I don't know who I'm going to meet. So go. You never know who they know. Correct. But if it's, right. if it's now cutting into your time and you can't do your work and you're not meeting all the right people, but you have a big network now, now start honing it down. Go through your network and say, okay, who are the people that are really going to help me connect and how can I get connected? And then be more strategic about it. Focusing on the industry, the, the profile. I'm a big proponent of creating, I'm sure you do this in marketing, the ideal client profile. Right. That doesn't mean you don't do business with all kinds of people. But when you're holding yourself out, you're going to say, this is the ideal client for me, you know, I'm looking for a family owned business with a certain amount of employees net worth, maybe multi-generational, because I know there's a lot of things that I can do for their business, for their family planning. It's all integrated, things like that. I like businesses with multiple partners that have been, been in business for five years or more and have, you know, at least five to 10 employees because there's yeah. things I can do for them. So I, I, over the time I've done that, honed it down, you know, but it's now, a process. Is that, is that is that a problem you see with with a lot of uh, newer entrepreneurs where they they don't know how to find that niche? You know, are, do some struggle trying to be too much for everybody and not really understanding? Yeah, I think they do. Know, I think I think is. I think they try to, and you can hear this in elevator pitches, right? So they try to be everything to everybody because they're afraid that if they don't mention it, they might miss that piece of business. Um, it's actually the opposite result. Right. So if you're out there saying you do everything to everybody, it's just noise to people. They can't focus in on anything. So pick specifically the one or two things you do and want to do and leave it that way. And then connect with somebody because they they say, Oh, I can connect you with family-owned businesses. I mean, I do. I hold myself out as a person who works generally with family-owned businesses and partnered businesses. Now, do I work with startup and entrepreneurs? Sure. I mean, they don't make me a lot of money, but I'm always happy to help them. Do I do wills for a financial advisor who's got a couple that just bought some insurance? Yes, I do. But I don't market that way. So you really want to hone your, your message down so I can walk away from the meeting if I met you and I think, well, I can help Tom connect with some people because you gave me something specifically to think about, not gave me 42 things to think about. And I don't remember any of them. Yeah, so I think they're shooting, them, yeah they're shooting themselves in the foot and they don't, 
they'll realize that you also get the people that are avoiding meetings because they're like, ah, I'm not going to meet anybody there. You don't do that unless you're, unless you're busy, unless you're, you're so busy, you can't, you know, you can't uh, deal with it. So, yeah. And, and to me, you know, one of the things I, as I've listened to a number of your episodes, um, I've walked away really being impressed with you as a as an interviewer. You you really have a way of, of probing, asking questions, yeah. and and to me that's such an important skill. You you've got somebody feeling comfortable. They're going to open up. You're going to learn a lot more about them than if they are like you said. I'm in that networking thing, and I just spew for eight minutes. I'm right. not learning about anybody. I, nobody's really going to connect with me. So let's talk about that. Those interviewing skills that you have. Yeah. And, and let's take it now. We have a lot of sellers that listen to this episode. You know, before you're even showing them what it is that you focus on, if you understand what they need, now you can really tailor your elevator pitch. Imagine if if I could just observe the networking for an hour yeah. and then go to each of these people, my elevator pitch is going to be really good because I'm going to focus in what I've learned that they need. So Correct. let's talk about those, those probing skills and was that there episode one? Was that there uh, back in the uh, the dorm? Where did you become such a good interviewer and what's important? Um, yeah, I've always been, I, it's funny with Jack, when I did the first two episodes, he's like, you're really good at this. You should do this, uh, you know, for a living. I'm like, how in the world do you do this for a living? Like, if you can figure that out, I'm all in, you know? I don't know, you know, as a lawyer and as having some sales training, I've always been a very good listener because that's what you have to do as a lawyer, right? I got to get the information from my clients in order to produce the document or handle the transaction or create the estate plan that they need to protect their families. So I've always been a very good listener. And I learned very early on that the biggest faux pas or shortcoming of salespeople is that they talk too much. The, 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 the sign of a young, immature salesperson is that they get in front of somebody and vomit all over them, word-wise, you know, verbally. And they just, they're so, and part of it's nerves, right? They're so caught up with having to tell you everything that they do that they don't take the time to listen. So a big part of it is being a good listener and not feeling that you have to tell the person that you're talking to everything that you do. I mean, I never talk about what I do for the most part on the podcast. So I do, you know, you have to be a really good listener in order to be a good interviewer, in order to be a good salesperson, in order to, like you said, tailor your message to be valuable to the person that you're talking to. If I go to an event, especially if it's in person, I try to do very little talking. Tom, you know, tell me about what you do. And, I'm, and I show genuine interest in what you do. And then I'll ask you questions based on what you're telling me, which is exactly what I do on the on the podcast. I don't know. It's just a skill. I, I just find people interesting. Uh, they mentioned something to me. I make a little note and I'm like, you know, can we get back to what you just said when you were young and how in the world in Brooklyn, did you do X, Y, and Z, you know, type of thing. And uh, I think it's, it's just, you know, you have to have a curiosity with people as opposed to being nervous that they're not going to buy from you. For, forget about it. They're either going to buy from you or not. If, if they need what you, what you have, but you, in order to do that, you got to figure out what it is they need. So you have to ask the question. You got to listen to what they're saying. You got to follow that up. And it may not be what you're selling. Your service may not be the right thing for them. If I go through them and at the end of the discussion, they really need a divorce from their spouse, not an estate plan. I'm not a family law attorney, but I have relationships with people and I'll refer them to somebody and I'll make sure they get taken care of. So when they run into somebody and they go, no, you should go to Mitch. He's, he, he, he took care of me, you know? 
Um, and, and I also find that when you talk less and listen more, people tend to think for some reason, I had this great conversation with Mitch and you're thinking, well, I never even said anything. What are you talking about? But it's the perception of the whole thing. So be a good listener. The questions will follow if you're listening well to the person that you're dealing with, even from a sales standpoint. Yep. And, and I'm thinking it helps when you're naturally curious. You yes, know, you, very you, much so. When you're the type of person that takes an interest in other people, you're, you're going to want to hear their story. You're going to ask those questions. You're going to pay attention. And then you're truly going to want to help them. Um, not everybody has that natural interest. Well, you know, I think that if you if you try and push yourself to be curious about what they're saying, it takes you away from all the nervousness that you probably have about selling to them and what they're going to think of you. And I can't say, how do I say it? Just be interested in what they're saying if you're listening to them. I don't think it's a hard skill to develop. It is true that it comes naturally to some people versus others, but usually the others are the ones that are so nervous about what what it is that they're going to talk about or sell or you know if they don't meet the quota or whether just be interested in the person you're talking to and see where it leads you as opposed to all the other stuff and I think that kind of you know deflates the balloon a little bit and takes the pressure off of you as a salesperson you get a little more comfortable you get relaxed and Correct. Um, I used to teach sellers that would struggle with that yeah they needed to have three probing questions that were only about rapport building so when you get in before you get into anything else before you even ask a a, a serious probing yeah. question start building a rapport have right. three that you want to go to and they should be different for every every business you know maybe you walk in you see a, a, a Yankees celebration poster behind them you know you're, you're looking for something to, to ask some good questions about um, and to have some fun with so yeah hey listeners it's Kelly Bloomer here to tell you the show is brought to you by Bloomer Associates if you visit our website found in your show notes You'll find we offer sales training, talent assessment for hiring and team development, and individual coaching for sales pros and managers. We bring over 30 years in media sales and leadership experience. If you enjoy listening to OK Boomer, Teach Me Sales, ask how our team can work with your sales team for virtual meetings, roundtables, and motivational seminars. You can contact us through our website or call today, 919 two six seven nine eight seven one now back to our show okay say so mitch um you know our our show is okay boomer teach me sales right um i'm a baby boomer uh a young baby boomer i mean for right. the record though so i i just made that just on the tail end yeah yeah and and my wife is not a boomer she always likes me to bring that i'm up. actually the first year i think with gen x i just i would have been if i got bought built uh, born a couple years earlier I would be in your group. All right. But you you enjoyed saying you're younger than me, Mitch. That's what I just heard there. So, <laughs> you're a good listener, Tom. Uh, but uh, uh, so you're dealing with boomers like myself. Uh, yeah. I'm sure some that are even older. They, they've been working with a company for a long time. They're dissatisfied. They decide they have an idea. You know, they want to go and do it. Uh, and then I'm sure you're working with young professionals that, uh, you know, they maybe been out there in the business world four or five years, if that, and, and yeah. they want to get started. Right. Uh, are there differences? Do you, do you find generational differences in how they approach owning their business and, and strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, I'm in the uh, Generation X and then you got millennials and then Generation Z and then you got the bo the boomers on the other side. You know, boomers grew up with no technology and the Gen Xers, my group, we kind of grew into technology and the millennials and the Gen Zs, they, they have the technology. So 
the way the world works now and how you connect with people and how you market to people is so different than it was when the boomers were growing up because you know those it was corporate america for the most part the the big boom on entrepreneurship didn't really happen um when they were in their 20s and and 30s and you know if you're looking to make a transition a lot of the boomers really need the support and they probably should get it like you don't need to learn and become an expert and all the technological stuff that can make it easier to run your business and connect with the people you can hire somebody to do that a lot of the millennials maybe even the the younger gen xers because uh, i'm probably the oldest of the gen xers um is uh you know they 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 do a lot of this stuff on their own they learn the stuff they figure out the software they they figure out the automation they they want to design their products a lot of the boomers don't really want to they want to do the the running of their business and the running of their business was connecting with people and selling and and you know personal relationships and things like that so it's the technology gap i think that's the biggest glaring thing i see from the different dichotomy of the generations um and it which one is more willing to learn which is is it easier to get a point across to a uh, a gen x or a boomer or uh, a younger sales or, or a small business owner yeah i think i think it's easier to get, well i think gen x is probably easier to get across millennials are a little stubborn with their especially and even younger gen z's i mean they are you know you, you don't understand dad you don't understand, Tom. You, you didn't grow up, you know, with this stuff. And I find the boomers, like especially people that are on the older uh, tail end of the boomers, you're 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 much on the younger side of the boomer group. Um, you know, th there's technology and stuff they're dealing with that they don't really want to deal with, that they weren't expecting to deal with. And now that they're starting their own business or a consultancy or whatever it is, they're kind of forced to do it, especially during coronavirus. I mean, there's things that have happened in four months that would have taken 10 or 15 years and they would have just aged out of it and retired and they wouldn't have to worry about it. Now they got to worry about it. You know, they, they were the people, the technology adoption for a boomer was like a bag phone or a brick phone mounted in your car that would, you know, and now it's not even a phone. That's like an ancillary thing that the device does. So it's, a, it's a much different paced, you know, world. Um, so I find that with boomers, it's, it's, it's difficult. They definitely have to learn some things or, get some help or, but you know, they might also more have the resources than the people that are millennials and younger starting a business where they're really bootstrapping what they're doing. So they might have the money to invest in the support to move forward with the business as opposed to having to do a lot of it on their own. That's probably a glaring difference too, in terms of resource availability. As long as they're willing to, uh, and they understand they need to, to spend it. You know, I, I saw- Yeah, I mean, that's always a challenge. Yeah, when, when I started in advertising, I started in 92 and in New Jersey, um, our, our focus was restaurants. So I work with a lot of restaurant owners. They, they'd had their restaurant for 20, 30 years. Right. Um, suddenly there's websites. Right. They, they don't really see a need for, for a website. You know, that, no, that they're wasn't, known in the community. They got their customers. They come in. People yeah. eat here. What do they I need a website the for? That's it. I send the menu. They, they come back and, and it works. Right. And, and then the apps come out. And you know my children now, and and they're thirty two and thirty, um, they're not going to pick up the phone to order their pizza. No. If, if they can't do it online, they're going somewhere else to to order their pizza. So right. you know some they of also, they want to see it. They want to know that the order's correct. They don't want to tell somebody on the phone who may have an accent. I don't know whatever, because you know there's an older generation or something like that. Definitely, and I find it easier that way too. I'd rather have it in writing, get a receipt, have all the things that are on my pizza. You know, 
technology wise. And you know what we learned? You spend more when you do it that way. Definitely. Because you're looking at the menu and that's right. trying to show that the restaurant owner that not only will more people order from you, but they're going to spend more of because course. they've got your whole menu there. Well, now the whole restaurant industry has been forced online. So if you don't have an app, you die on the vine. I mean, 92, I remember I was in a youth conference in, in Israel with kids from Europe, the United States and Israel. And they were talking about this thing called the internet. I never heard of it. I'm like, that can't be a thing. They're like, yeah, it is. Everybody's connecting. I got to live in the United States. We're about everything first here, which apparently is not true. And uh, I come back and there's all these AOL discs on everybody's porch now. And, and it all took off from there. So in 92, it was different, right? You, you couldn't even make your own website. You had to hire a professional to program it. Nowadays, you can do a lot of stuff of yourself. dollars at that yep, point. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's different. Nowadays, you can get up a website and be online and selling goods and you know, you, you almost don't even need the restaurant, right? You can do a takeout and delivery place with very small square footage, make good food and get a following and open the restaurant after you have a following. They're gonna, that's that's the future, right? That's the ones they're gonna start designing so that they don't go yeah. through this again. You know? Right. And a lot less overhead, of course, a lot less jobs for people too, unfortunately. That's but true too. The job market will shift, but a lot of those people won't be able to make the shift. It's unfortunate, mm -hmm. but so, yeah. So more, more people that need to become entrepreneurs, Mitch. I guess, you know, entrepreneurship's not for everybody. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, and I think we use the word like very flippantly uh, and glibly. I think that, you know, a small business owner is not necessarily an entrepreneur, right? It, an entrepreneur is the kind of person that wants to scale their business, grow their idea, not necessarily sell their business, but definitely there's a growth, you know, factor. There's the, There's a whole kind of a, you know, chasing the dream kind of a factor. There's plenty of small business owners that are just, you know, they, they, they're a tailor, they're a shoemaker, they're a dry cleaner, they're a local person and they're running That's their business. Yeah. They're not looking to open up a chain of dry cleaners. They're just looking to dry clothes mm -hmm. and clean clothes. And, you know, they have a liquor store. They're not looking to open up, you know, liquor, a chain of liquor stores. They have a business. They're not necessarily entrepreneurs. They're definitely small business owners. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that not everybody's an entrepreneur. All right. uh, Mitch, it seems to me that, that the business you're in is really helping helping those small business owners, helping those entrepreneurs. Sure. Uh, before we wrap up today, uh, one last word of advice, anything that we didn't cover um, that, that you would put out to those uh, business owners listening? Um, I think we covered most of it. I, 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 I really, really um, encourage people to be a planner, you know, write down a business plan work that business plan, review your notes, see where you are, compare it to where you're going. Don't do it blindly. We don't learn how to drive and put on a blindfold and drive around, hope we don't hit anything. It's kind of the same way with running your business. You got to know what's going on. You don't have to be a, an extremely technical person. You can hire somebody to do your bookkeeping, but if somebody's doing your bookkeeping, fine, then you can run a profit and loss statement off of QuickBooks pretty easily and say, you know, where am I? Why is this negative? I have cash in the bank. How am I negative for the month? And you start to learn about what your business looks like. So the planning and the review and all that kind of stuff that people hate to do, it's the one thing that keeps you from failing, that, that you know keeps you looking at the road ahead and say, oh, trouble coming, as opposed to wait until you hit the ice skid and run into the Mack truck. A little what too happened? late for that. How what happened? happened? Yeah, people say that all the time. What happened? I so stopped to pick up my phone. What what happened? Exactly. And 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 don't don't fall into that trap. And it's an easy trap to fall into because, like I said, as entrepreneurs, we're mostly right brained. We like to do the creative stuff and avoid the other stuff. It's not fun. 
we don't want to really know the answer is it failing or whatever but you need to know that before sooner than later because you because you may be able to fix it it's not, it's not necessarily that means you should shut the business down it you just may be able to fix it but if you discover it too late you won't be able to recover yeah. be nice to get a lot less of those phone calls hey mitch you know what i i gotta shut this down you know if they would have asked some yeah i mean that's the part of the podcast keeping the message out there and hopefully affecting people's behavior so uh, mitch share with the audience how do they reach out to you? How can they contact you if they heard some things they want to talk further? How do they reach yeah, you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very available online. So bindhackerlaw.com is my website. Through that, there's a menu that says podcasting, so you can reach the podcast. You can also get the podcast on, I think, five or six directories. So I'm on Apple, Google, and Amazon. And I'm also on Spotify, Stitcher, and I think iHeartRadio. So you can get it on pretty much any of the, any of the podcast directories. Um, I am also on... Facebook, LinkedIn, you can find me under Beinhacker Law. You can find the Accidental Entrepreneur on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm on Instagram, um, not a ton, but I, I do post to Instagram and Twitter. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm pretty easy to, I'm pretty easy to, to track down. Shouldn't be difficult to find. You can always send me an email if you want to, you know, I, I, my calendar's even online. You can do a 20 minute, you know, free chat if you wanted to. That's the, you know, that's on Zoom. <laughs> That's something that's changed over the years, right? I, I can remember chasing people down for weeks to get an appointment. Now yep. you just send a link and you, you wake up one morning. And yeah, very good them. automated tip. Um, during the pandemic, I realized that people were using these online calendars. And I had one, but I really wasn't using it. It saves me hours upon hours trying to schedule meetings. And it integrates with my mailing system and with Zoom. So somebody can go on my calendar, set up a Zoom meeting or a telephone meeting. Their email then gets added to my mailing list. And I have a drip campaign of five or six weeks where they learn about the practice and the podcast and the things that I do. And it's all, I don't know, I never touch it. I'm never involved. So that's something people should think about. And it's an inexpensive way to, to, to add people to your list and to build your list and so forth and remind them of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, there's amazing stuff out there. Absolutely. And it's not expensive nowadays. You're talking $10 a month, $15 a month. Yeah. Money well spent, just in time alone, what, what you just saved there. So, exactly. Um, all right. Before I let you go, I learned something yep. today. Good. What'd you learn? I, I learned that when you're networking, when you're connecting with people, you, you've got to push for what you need, right? You got to get your message across. So got to be clear um, and concise. Yeah. You have to, right? You just, yep. if you don't ask, you, you don't get. So right. uh, my first book is going to be coming out right around May 1st. And, okay. you know, Probably I would make a really good guest on your podcast to talk about that book. It's going to help a lot of business owners. Definitely. We'll put something you know, on the we, calendar. We, I'll send you a calendar link and we'll, we'll just book it. Excellent. 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 All right, Mitch, thank you very much. I've enjoyed today and uh, I'm sure our, our listeners appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Tom. So that's it. That's today's show. Okay, Boomer, teach me sales. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to subscribe and follow. We hope you make us a part of your week. And don't forget to share with your friends and coworkers. Should we mention the website? Sure. The website, okboomerteachmesales.com. And where can they engage with us? LinkedIn at Thomas J. Bloomer. We hope to see you there.